0: You know, there's two verses in the Bible that have really affected my ministry. And I I never picked this verse out as, you know, people say they have a life verse. I I didn't do that with this. But if I had to say that there was something, some passage that really has affected me, it would be Philippians 2, and it probably is a life verse in the sense that it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death upon a cross. If there's anything that I think really defines what I think Christians ought to be, it's that passage right there in Philippians 2. And that's what I'm preaching on this morning. And I should tell Eric that I'm getting slides change errors all over the place here. So I may have to go to my sheet and you may have to flip. Um... But the second verse that has really affected me has nothing to do with this morning's message. And it probably has to do with you and with every church I've ever pastored. And it actually has to do with a, a place in Ephesians where Paul is talking about marriage. But how does that apply to the church, right? Because, And what it is is there's just this phrase in Ephesians, Jess, which says Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. What he's really talking about there is how a husband is to love his wife. But I want you to get the picture that Paul uses it's the picture of Christ and how much he loved us. And what did he do for us? He gave himself up for us. But that's another sermon on another day. If I'm going to carry this around, I ought to drink it. So give me a second and I'll jump into Philippians 2. It reads like this, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection, (laughs) it just did it. I'm going to try to get to where you are. I'm sorry, church. Give me one second. I really want to use this and not my notes this morning. So I'm going to try one more time and then I'll give up. It's not you, it's me. It's it's I think it's just this. Well, Eric, I'm going to ask you to flip flip for me. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. (laughs) Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing that was to be grasped. But he emptied himself and took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and women of humans. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading this hour. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word. Show us your will and show us your way. In Christ's name we ask, amen. And I'm just going to be ornery enough to try to get down to where Eric is and let you know that the, the title that's about to pop on the screen is not the title of the sermon. I've changed it. But I don't get to ride shotgun anymore was what it was up until about 6 o'clock this morning. If I had to tell you what the title of today's sermon was right this very minute, I think uh, what I would call it um, would be something like this. First, let me tell you a story. It's my birthday today. My wife... A few weeks back said, what do you want to do for your birthday? And I said, as little as possible, and the less you remind me of it, the more happy I'll be. So I haven't heard from her ever since. This morning, she got out of bed. I was already up. She came down the stairs. She looked at me kind of sheepishly and said, happy birthday. (laughs) It went on her merry way but that's not the story I want to tell you. The story I want to tell you, and the title of the message would be this, Stay Sweet. Stay Sweet. Let me explain that to you. 1985, July 16th, I think it was. It was right in the middle of the month. I started my first pastorate, July 16th, 1985. They were going to pay me $2,000 a year The pastor of the Pleasant Grove Church in, I won't tell you where, but it's not far from here. Because the story I'm about to tell you is bad and the lady it involves still living. And I'm just ordinary enough that I don't care. But anyway, there I was, my first church Not had but six months of seminary under my belt. They told me I wouldn't get a church for a long time and they gave me one. And there I was, the new pastor at the Pleasant Grove Church. What was unique about my appointment there was that six weeks down the line on August 30th, we were engaged to be married. We were going to get married on August 30th, that very year. So here comes the new kid on the block walking into the church, and he's getting married. And we came from a very large church back home, and we knew that because of our involvement there, we had made an open church wedding. We were going to have a vast number of people show up. And to have the little gang at Pleasant Grove Church show up was no problem, so we invited all them. We were new. That just seemed logical to us. And the vast majority of them came. I'll not forget it. I was so blessed that they did. But on about, I don't know, the third Sunday there, sometime in early August, while we're planning a wedding and trying to get a house in order, because that's another story you don't want to hear. Anyway, one lady in the church came up and gave us on her way out, a wrapped wedding gift. Probably said something like this, I can't make it to your wedding, you know, but this is a gift for you. I've got to tell you before going further, you know, that church, they didn't pay well, but they were great people. And every Sunday, I'd go out, they couldn't pay well, be a proper way of saying that. And that was part-time, and I was newbie, they probably should have charged me to come. But anyway, I'd I'd come out there on Sunday morning, in my back seat, there would be corn, or there would be beans, or there would be corn and beans. if I went to visit them, these farmers would take gas and fill your tank up. I mean, yeah, there wasn't much cash, but the blessings just flowed. So you never knew what was going to be in your car when you got back out there. And I tell you that to tell you that every Sunday was like a birthday present with these people. They were just wonderful. So we'd go out and get in the car. And we're driving out Arrow Road to get back home where we're from. Not even married yet. And I grabbed that gift and I opened it. Because every Sunday I was opening gifts. She gave us a beautiful blue blanket. It was just nice, you know, nice blanket for bed. Well, her and her husband did. Next Sunday we went back. And as we're shaking hands on the way out, I said, thank you very much for that kind gift. That was a beautiful blanket, and we appreciate that much. And she kind of gnarled. I think I saw fangs. And she said, you're not married yet. I didn't mean for you to open it until you got married. You were supposed to wait until after you were married. Why would you open it now? I am angry with you. And she walked out of the church. I want to remind you that I'm like in week four. I went back the next week. She had not settled down. She had told the whole church that, you know, the new kid on the black, I'm going to tell you what she told them. And, of course, they all wanted to tell me because that's how it works in those little churches. You know, you got to go, you you do it too. But anyway. Happened to be serving part-time at the same time as a children's ministry director at a church up in Akron. And that pastor happened to be my pastor growing up. So I'd go up there on Sunday nights and work with kids. That was back when I liked kids. And um, after we were done every week, you know, we'd pray beforehand. But afterwards, we'd sit down and we'd debrief. And we're going through the debrief. And I was telling him, because really this wasn't about helping his church. My role there was he was still mentoring me. And I said to him, you know, got this lady. And I want to tell you, oh, boy, is she angry. Mmm! It's because of blanket. It's no kidding. We were married probably about six months. I came home one day, and Janice had made the bed, and that blanket was on the bed. I took it off. But... It, Anyway, I'm telling, I'm telling the pastor, and you know, I'm telling the preacher. I said, "Preacher, you know this lady. She's mad. She's showing her fangs. She's angry and upset. Didn't do anything but open a gift before she thought I should open the gift. I don't understand why she's yakking, 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 yakking all over the community. And everybody knows about it. I can't remember anything he said, but he was telling me how people are, and everything he told me probably turned out to be true in my observation. But at the very end, he said this: Stay sweet. Joel, just stay sweet. And I want to tell you probably the best advice he ever gave me. Because it's hard in ministry, friends. It's very hard sometimes to stay sweet. I want to talk to you today about this passage, and I hope you'll you'll get it. You'll get it pretty early on, I think. Paul is sitting in a jail cell. He's had great problems with the church in Corinth. He's had real issues with the church at Rome. He's sitting in a jail cell for one reason, and one reason only. That is for being a Christian. And a young guy named Epaphroditus shows up. And Epaphroditus has a gift from the church at Philippi. And we don't know what that was, but it was likely money because when you went into jail in the jails at that time, you didn't get fed three square meals a day. You better hope somebody took care of you. or gave you some money to buy some meals because you weren't going to have it done any other way. And that's likely what that gift was. And, and this letter is from Paul. That we're, what we've read this morning, this portion of the letter is from Paul to that church at Philippi. But what you're about to read, and if you had read the first chapter, and you're welcome to go do that on your own sometime, is that Paul really appreciates the gift, and he tells the church that. But then he goes on to say, but I'm really bothered by the division. What's really heartbreaking to me is the division. If you read Philippians chapter 1, you know this is what you'll read there. You will find that Paul says... You know, there are actually people who are preaching the gospel in order to keep me in jail. There are actually people who are preaching the gospel to make my time here more difficult so they'll keep me longer. And he says, that's great. That's wonderful. If they're going to preach, I'm happy that Christ gets preached. I'll I'll stay in jail the rest of my life. But church at Philippi, understand. Really appreciate the gift. But I'm really bothered by what's going on there. Look at what he says. I'm going to take us a verse at a time like we do every week. And I'll try to get you out of here quicker than than what it appears you're going to get out right now with the pace that I'm preaching at. He says if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy. Paul has just given us four if-then statements in one verse. You know what that means, don't you? If this, then that. Uh, but the, the thing about these if-then statements here, read the verse again, if there's any encouragement, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy, he is assuming that we already know the answer to those things. They are already true. He says, if you've been encouraged by being a Christian, then you have certain obligations, church at Philippi. One of those obligations, he's going to go on to say in a minute, is to be one in Christ. If there's any comfort from love, if there's any love for Christ, there should also be love for each other. And he's going to go on to say here in a few minutes, and you'll see it when I get there, that that divisiveness cannot exist. It undercuts the cause of Jesus. If there's any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, then they would practice it in a way that reflects them to be one. If the Holy Spirit is partnered with Christ, if the Holy Spirit is partnered with God the Father, and if the church, the believers in Jesus, have been prayed for by Jesus to be one with Him, then we also need to reflect that oneness with Jesus, God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he says if there's any affection and any sympathy, if there's any tenderness and compassion among you, the norm would be, that you'd have it for each other. I'm going to tell you what the message says. And I love the way the message says it. Those that are on Facebook know that I quoted part of this on there this morning. But here's what Eugene Peterson wrote in the message. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if love has made any difference in your life, if being a community of Christ's spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart... And if you care, and that brings us to the next verse. Eric, I'm going to ask you to turn that to verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having that same love, being full accord and of one mind. So you just got the other half of that if-then statement. If these things are true, if there's encouragement in Christ, if there's comfort from Christ's love, if there's participation in Christ's spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy, then... Complete my joy. He's elaborating here on what he was headed into in verse 1. He's saying, I've got joy and I'm sitting in a jail cell, but it's not complete. The reason it's not complete is because something's going on in the church at Philippi. I want to tell you something. And please, this is important that you know it. Christ is, or rather, Paul is always, always, always jacking about oneness and unity. Writes about it repeatedly in all of his epistles. But the one thing Paul will never ask to happen, he'll never ask for unity to come at the expense of the truth. In other words, he's never going to ask them to be unified just to ignore something that needs to be taken care of. He assumes having the same heart and the same mind amongst the people of God is the way it's supposed to be. And he tells us how that takes place. Have the same love. Go sometime and look at Galatians 5, 20, whatever it is, the the fruits of the Spirit, because there you're going to read that one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. And if the Spirit is dwelling in the church... There should be love in the church. And that love does not mean that we just simply tell others about the love of Jesus. It means we sincerely love each other. It means being in full accord of one mind. Listen, it means that we have to put some effort to it. It isn't something that's just going to happen the third verse, he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count count others more significant than yourselves. Have you ever seen anybody that just wanted to advance themselves? Who just wanted to get the affirmation of the world for themselves? Who just wanted to be the spotlight? I think you've seen that before. Paul here is saying... Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Don't do anything out of conceit for yourself. Don't make the effort to put the limelight on you. Have a humble heart. Live in humility. Don't seek your own glory. Don't seek your own affirmation. Don't seek your own spotlight. Don't seek to take the place that belongs to Jesus. And look at how he says it. Consider others better than yourselves. Just so you know, that doesn't mean, you know, I'll I'll say to people all the time, you're a better man than I am. It doesn't mean that someone's morally superior. It simply means that you think of others first. But it also doesn't mean, one of the things Janice taught me a long time ago, and I agree with it, is this. I'm not better than anybody else, but I'm certainly not less than anybody else. God loves us all the same. Then look at this fourth verse. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, we live in a world where we, in a culture in the United States, the Western world, where we believe in our rights, don't we? This is my right. I've got my rights. And what that's often turned into is this all I can think about is me. I'm self centered. And Paul is saying here that thought, that mindset of being self centered has no place in God's kingdom. Just so you know, Paul's not calling us to neglect anyone. What he's actually doing is asking us to throw our nets wide enough that we include everyone. When we decide in the body of Christ and understand he's writing to a local body of believers. You've all heard the statement before, well, there are cliques in that church, right? You've heard that tell you what breeds that i think i think it's just simply when some people decide that they want to be friends with some but not necessarily with others it's not that they're cliques it's just that they've made a preference choice about who they're going to hang out with what paul's saying here is you can't do that he doesn't use the word cliques what he says is is you've got to open your eyes enough to quit seeing only yourself or your own little group of people but you have to look at the whole when you exercise mutual concern for each other, the problem of not being one will disappear. And then he says, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. That's there in that fifth verse. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. It's the beginning of a, some people think this is a hymn. It certainly is a truth. I would call it a Christology. It means a discussion of who Christ is. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you something? You will never be able, before we get into it, Eric, would you move to the fifth verse? And I'm not going to stay there long. I need to go to the sixth relatively soon. But... One of the things I want you to see in this is have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We will never be able to be who Jesus was, so don't misunderstand that. But our attitude, let this mind be in you. Our attitude. Remember when they came to that woman and they, they were going to stone her? What was Jesus' point? Hey, which one of you has no sin? <laughs> if, you, if you'll step forward, we'll let you throw that first stone. Right? You got to have the attitude of Jesus. Let this mind be in you. It's the attitude of Jesus Christ. And going on to the sixth verse. Who though he was in the form of God. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Understand that this is a, a, a whole theological course. That we could cover in these next few verses. I'm not going to do that with you this morning. He had. Look at the seventh verse. Or the sixth verse. Um, he, this is from Philippians 2 6. He had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. When I read that verse and I wrote down my notes for this passage, listen to this. This is what I wrote down. I've been a member of this church for 40 years. Do you know how many times I've heard that? What, what does that say to people? I got rank. He had equal status. You want to talk about rank? He had equal status with God. He was the charter member of being a Christian. But he never thought so much of himself that he clung to the advantages of that status no matter what. (coughs) When you choose to hold on to this part of this verse, cling to the advantages of the status of... When you choose to cling to whatever that that is that you think you've got to cling to, listen. That's as self-centered as it gets. And all of you here have seen it. I'm on the seventh verse, Eric. (laughs) By not clinging to it, he chose to do something else. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Let me help you with this for a minute. When it says he emptied himself... I am a Christian, but there's one thing I know for sure, I will never cease being Joel. Okay, one of the reasons one of the reasons that Jesus said a prophet's without honor in his own country, one of the reasons he said that is because he knew I'd have to go back to my high school reunion. <laughs> when I go back there, do you know what I am? I'm not pastor. I'm not reverend or doctor. I'm Joel. When Jesus came to earth and became a human, he didn't lose who he was. He was always God, but he assumed, and listen to this, he assumed the task of a servant. I mean, this is God, God's Son. And he took upon himself, in addition to being God's son, being God. I mean, if there was ever anybody that had the right to say, I've been in this church for 60 years, it was Jesus. If there's anybody that had the right to say, you know, I don't have to serve anymore. I've done my time, it was Jesus. If there's anybody that had the right to say, I'm above that role, it was Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? He took upon himself the form of a servant. God took upon himself the form of a servant. And I'm just going to add this as we go to the 8th verse. Some of us need to take a class in how to have a servant's heart. Because we've lost that in the church. I'm not saying everybody has, but we've really lost it. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death upon a cross. How humble was Jesus' humility? Look at two things. It was obedient. Hebrews five eight says, Although he was God's son, he learned, hum- he learned humility through the things he suffered. And it was to the point of death, death on a cross. A Roman citizen never had to face crucifixion because they were a Roman citizen. And, according to Deuteronomy... Death on a cross was the worst cursed person in your community. That's what Jesus endured. Because he did that, emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a servant, became obedient to death on a cross. Look at what it says. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. It's the ninth verse, Eric. I am so sorry. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Tenth verse. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Eleventh verse. And every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, Paul was facing problems with a church called Corinth. Yes, Paul had problems with a church he established at Rome. But he also had issues with this gracious, good church at Philippi. And as Epaphroditus comes with this very generous gift, whatever it was, he brought bad news. Philippians 3 Just for a minute, let's go there. And I know I'm running over. I am really sorry. Finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble for me. And it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. There were problems in this church. Philippians 4, he says, My brothers whom I long for, and my love, my joy, and my crown, staring firm in the Lord. There's two people here in this verse, Euodia and Syntyche, who obviously have a problem. Make your joy complete. Would you go to the next slide, Eric? I've been working on some teaching for you. Some teaching for new people. Basically, it's going to be four sections. Four completely separate Bible studies. Get ready for what they're titled. The second half of each of these questions, because each title is a question, is pretty much the part that you need to put your seatbelt on for. The question is, am I a Christian? The second part is, do I want to be? Think about that. Am I a Christian and do I want to be? If you go through that course and you decide as a new person that, gee, you want to participate at Westbrook Park Church, the next course goes a little bit deeper. What does being a Christian at Westbrook Park Church look like? And the second question in that title is this Do I want that or not? The third class, if you want to go beyond the second one, if you didn't answer in the negative, is this. What are my gifts and how can I serve God in a very special way at Westbrook Park? We all think we know what our gifts are, but do we want to use them? And if you choose to go through that one, which few people will, we aren't going to throw you out if you don't, We're just going to say, well, you may not want to do certain things here. Say, what are you talking about, Joel? Well, we can't be everything to everybody. That's why. So, If you want to get on board, get on board. But we're going to have a mission, and we are headed somewhere. And if you want to join that mission, go ahead. But if you don't, that's okay. I mean, if your deal is you want to help the squirrels, go find that church. (laughs) The last class will be this because this is really what the church ought to be doing and it's only one question how can my gifts be used to make me a lifelong missionary in my world I'm going to slow down here for a minute and ask that number two question because it's the one I'm picking out this morning that goes along with the message what does being a Christian at Westbrook Park look like and do I want that or not The reason the second question is asked, do I want that as not or not, is because you ought to have the right to opt out. You ought to say, you know, I'd like to come, I'd like to worship, but I don't want to get involved. And we will say, we love you, that's great. But don't let your involvement become negativity. There's a difference between unity and uniformity, Church. Uniformity means we have one mission. Uniformity means we're headed in one direction. Here's what this group of believers in this place at this time does to fulfill the mission of Christ. We cannot do everything, so this is our specialty. Plug into it or choose not to. we can we can emphasize service to Christ uniformly we can teach and emphasize uniformity but maybe what we emphasize and maybe what we teach won't cut it for you that's the reason you got presbyterians and baptists and nazarenes and catholics and everything else we're not those things In other words, this is who we are. If you want something else with a different mission, go find it. But unity is something different. We can be uniform. We're United Methodists. we got a cross and a flame. We believe in two steps uh, of grace. We believe in salvation and sanctification. We believe that you meet Jesus and you get on the road with him, but he's going to mold you and change you. Remember earlier today we sang, Holy, 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 God in three persons, blessed Trinity. That's what Wesley was all about, holiness. We're going on to perfection, Wesley would say. That's the whole message, uh, the whole doctrine of the United Methodist Church. We don't believe it today but that's what Wesley was preaching and all the the Methodist churches in the early days were uniform but I'll tell you where they lost their unity they lost their unity when they decided that well it's going to be my way or no way they decided that we'd lose our unity when we decided my selfishness and pride matters more than the unity of the body Can I tell you something, church? You can rule, you can threat, threaten, and you can do all the discipleship teaching and Bible study groups on the planet. You will not change pride and selfishness in the human heart. Those things breed discontent and disunity. You've seen it in this church. You want to tell me you haven't? I'll talk to you afterwards. You know it's so. When we get the attitude that it's my way or no way, I want to guarantee you it's not his way. And the reason I'm harping on this so deeply this morning is for this reason. Selfishness and pride are divisive problems. They are heart problems. You cannot teach people to be unified. You cannot take in deeply individualized persons And make them become like each other. But understand this, in the body of Christ, we are called to have the mind of Jesus. who took upon himself, God took upon himself the form of a servant. And he became obedient to death, even death upon a cross. Paul says, you need to have that mind. When you have that mind, yeah, truth will matter. But your little wants that revolve around the color of the carpet, they won't matter as much as they used to. Because when Jesus sits at the head, let this mind be in you. Andrew Murray said the humble person is not the only one who thinks meanly of himself. That means badly. He simply doesn't think of himself at all. I think that's true. Warren Wiersbe said humility is the grace that when you have it you've, when, humility is the grace that when you know you have it you've lost it. Think about that. Humility is the grace that when you know you have it you've lost it. And now I'm going to take it my bottom line. The more it's about me, the less it's about Jesus. And church, I want to help you here to understand what it means when it's more about me. More about me says, I want my way now. I want my bottle like a little baby, and I want it now. I want my way Or no way? I want to do a little test with you, and then we'll we'll, we'll give you the litmus test for humility, because that's really what the message is about. I want you to go back to your most recent complaint that you've had about something. I don't care what it is, your most recent complaint. Whatever you last complained about, I'm not talking about here, maybe it is here, I don't care, wherever it is, just your most recent complaint. I looked at the weather last night. It's going to be a beautiful day. I said, you know, that motorcycle will be humming on Sunday afternoon. Right after she said happy birthday, she said, don't forget my niece is stopping by today. And I said, what time is she stopping? She said, 3 p.m. I had a complaint. I want you to ask yourself about your most recent complaint. What was that really about? Dig deep. What was that really about? I'm going to go through this litmus test for humility pretty quick because the more it's about me, the less it's about Jesus. Who do you think about the most? I want you to realize that Jesus thought more about you than he did himself. That's why he went to the cross. How are we supposed to think like Jesus? How should we think Think about others more than ourselves? Have this mind in you. It was in Christ Jesus. He was God. He emptied himself. He didn't think it was something he had to hold on to. Second thing is, who are you serving right now? Do you have a servant's heart? Jesus emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, and he became in the likeness of us. Service will sometimes mean that doing that which you'd otherwise not want to do. And the third thing would be this. What will you sacrifice for? What will you sacrifice for? Jesus, being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You want to talk about sacrifice? There it is. Somebody said that ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. I think that's true. Somebody else said if there's no bleeding, expect no blessing. I think that's true too. I have to give you this illustration. If you go in the church... Right inside that door, there's another little cross just like this. Joe, the old custodian, he came out one day. He had made that little cross in there. When we moved outside, I said, we need a cross. And I thought that symbolized well, coming outside, not being inside. You know, we're going to set it up there. You know how cheap this thing is made? Two old pieces of wood. He made another one. Two cheap pieces of wood. These are paper towel rolls, big rolls of, you know, the big paper towels in there. And then he painted them, glued them together, I think, taped them together maybe. Can I tell you what that is? That is a cheap cross. That's cheap. That's what most of us want. We want no sacrifice. We want everything our way. We want all the glory to come to us. We want to be sure that everyone understands who we are and what our needs are and what we've got to have. And I want to guarantee you something. That's all about us. And when it's all about me, it's less about Jesus. If you'd turn the volume up on the video, I'd appreciate it. I'm moving to the next slide. We will not sing the final hymn. I'll pray today. I pray for those who will believe me through their message. I pray for those who believe me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus went to the cross because he loved us. He calls us to our cross so that others will hear that message. Don't get in the way. Don't get in the way. Lord, I pray your blessing upon us now as we leave this place. May our hearts be set upon the things of Christ. Lord, as we go out into this beautiful day, Help us to have the mind of Jesus, the attitude of Christ, to submit to your will for us, to be humble enough to submit to what you call us to, that the world may come to know Jesus as we do. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. God bless you, church. We'll not sing a hymn because I kept you so long. Thank you for being so patient. God bless you. Can, there, can everybody hear me? Am I coming through now? Am I coming through now? The, there we go. Am I coming? Yes? No? Yes, I'm coming through? I don't know. It's... I have no idea why it's not. I don't know.